vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is usually Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Every episode exactly 20 years after its original air date, but we're doing the summer of movies of the year 2000, and this is only my third one, and it's August 22nd, so I apologize for that. Um, Happy birthday, Tori Amos, if you're listening. <laughs> Because, of course, she is. I used to be obsessed with Tori Amos. And I always remember that I have, like, one of my best friends, her birthday is today, too. And I actually did some day drinking today. But then I came home and watched a movie, so I'm, I'm pretty sober at this point. Um, but just for full disclosure. Um, yeah, it was actually kind of nice. Like, we went to this restaurant that, like, we sat outside. And it was this... I didn't know that this is what it was going to be, but it was a a little isolated balcony that only had one table on it. So it was just like a few friends. There were like seven of us all together, um, sitting out on a balcony and it was shaded and it was very fucking hot today, but it wasn't too terrible in the shade. There were flies everywhere, but the food was good. It was expensive. You guys don't care, but it was just fun to like, you know, in pandemic times, like, you know, I've been out to a restaurant twice since March and, or three, four, four times, four times, um, since March. But one of them, I wasn't really counting because I mean, I should have counted it, but I didn't. Anyway, you guys don't care. <laughs> Today, did you guys do your homework? Did you? Did you, did you, did you do your homework? Did you watch High Fidelity? Um, so I did, and I told you guys in the last episode that I was pretty sure I was going to be real pissed off about this movie, and actually, I am pleasantly surprised. It's still, like, I mean, I went into it going, oh god, Rob's a fucking asshole, like, this is going to be hard, because rereading the book, I reread High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. God, when was the last time I, re I read that book like three or four times and I own it and it has a place in my heart because I, like Rob, am obsessed with music. I love books about music criticism. I love like fiction books about like people that are obsessed with music. I like that book. However, there's a lot of sexist bullshit in that book. I... Again, it's been a while since I reread the book, but like, I guess we're just sort of talking about today because High Fidelity is like, when I first saw this movie, just my history with the movie, um, it probably was the year 2000 when I first saw it. And I was, at that point, I would have been a sophomore or junior in high school. And... It was really hard being like a kid grown. I mean, not really hard, like, oh, I had it so bad, but it was difficult being like a kid, a teenage girl obsessed with music, finding things. I could not really find, you know, books, movies, TV shows, even other people to talk to about music because every time I like made friends with somebody that was also obsessed with music and tried to talk to them about it. It was almost always a guy and they would just like mansplain music to me and I couldn't actually have a good conversation with them either because 
most of the time, the situation would be that they like acted like they really liked music, but they didn't actually know anything about it. And it was all just bravado dude bullshit. So High Fidelity was like the movie, the book was the closest thing that I had to having those conversations that I wanted to have with people, you know, um, I grew up in a small town. So it was like, there weren't that many opportunities for me to like really talk to people about music. And the thing with, you know, growing up in, I was born in 1982. So I, you know, the sexism, I hope is not quite as bad as it was with me growing up. And of course it was way worse before, um, I grew up, but you know, whenever I was like, you know, a teenager, the the internet was just a thing. So, you know, like hanging out in like chat rooms and trying to talk to people about interests that you have, such as music, whatever, it was just like not happening if you were a girl, unless you were pretending to be a boy on the internet, which didn't even like occur to me because I am such a cis girl. <laughs> like I am... I'm definitely was not born in the wrong body and I'm happy about that. I'm very fortunate, but like, it was just never, it wouldn't have even occurred to me and I wouldn't have wanted to do it even if it had. But if I had like gone on chat rooms and shit as a dude, I possibly could have gotten into good conversations with respect, but dudes would not talk to you about anything. If they find out that you're a girl, you know, they just... Uh, patronize you, mansplain to you, and try to get in your pants. And it's like, you couldn't get beyond that to have real conversations with people. It's just like, it's weird. I wasn't even thinking about that before I pressed record, but like, that was a real thing. And I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate. And um, anyway, <laughs> didn't know I was going to go there. That's like the subtitle of this podcast. It's the subtitle of everything I do on the internet. Like, <laughs> didn't know I was going to talk about that. Okay. But anyway... So now, as of 2020, we have the option of not only High Fidelity, the book by Nick Hornby, which is, if I remember correctly, it's medi medium sexist, you know, like Nick Hornby would still read as kind of a sensitive, nerdy boy, but still a sexist, sensitive, nerdy boy. And then the movie from the year 2000, High Fidelity, is like low sexist, low, very low sexist for the year 2000. For the year 2020, it's pretty medium sexist, I would say. And then we get at the beginning of this year, I'm not sure it's possible it came out late 2019. I, I, 2020 is like such a fuzzy year already. We're still in it. You know what I mean? Um, but I know I first watched the Hulu high fidelity TV series, um, starring Zoe Kravitz. I first watched it. I don't know. I think it was, it was either February or March, somewhere around there. It was like, just as like the pandemic was becoming like a part of my awareness. Um, and I've watched it all the way through. It's an entire season. I've watched it all the way through three full times. I watched it by myself and then I showed it to my mom and then I showed it to my Michael and I kind of want to start it over again. Like, I think it's one of my favorite TV shows ever because it was like a lifelong dream of like, 
I don't know how many times I said to myself or to other people, if only like High Fidelity for the for years I called High Fidelity my favorite movie. I probably would put the book I don't know if I'd still put the book in my top five, but like as far as like fiction books are concerned, I I don't read a lot of fiction, but when I like something, I read it over and over. When I really, really like something, I read it over and over. And there's only like five books that I've ever read more than once. I mean, maybe, maybe like 10. There's probably 10 books in my life that I've read more than once. And High Fidelity is one of them. So I can't count how many times I've said to someone, I just want to read and I've actively looked for it. I just want to read High Fidelity with a girl. You know, I just want that. That's what I want. And the fact that I kind of avoided it, this, the Hulu TV series, because I thought I was just nervous because I was like the thing that I've wanted for so long, high fidelity, but with a girl finally existed. And I was so afraid that it wasn't going to be good that I avoided it for a while, and when I finally got to it, I was just so happy and so relieved. It is such a fucking good show, you guys. If you have absolutely any interest in, like, a really genuine representation of not only a person that's obsessed with music, a person that's emotionally stunted, just like Rob, um, and her name is also Rob, short for Robin, (laughs) Um, and it's diverse. It's so anyway, if we're not here to talk about the TV show today, but I just want you guys to know before we even start talking about the fucking movie that high fidelity, the movie from the year 2000, or, you know, I guess it's just high fidelity, the movie versus high fidelity, the book versus high fidelity, the TV show, TV show gets like a 10 out of 10 from me. I so hope they do more seasons. Um, But at the same time, the one season is pretty perfect as it is. You know, it could end right where it did end. And and maybe that's, that was the idea. You know, even if they don't make more seasons, I'm happy with what they made. And it's a beautiful story. And they made changes to the original plot, but they also made the original movie, but they made, um, they made, they, they did homages to it. They had even like certain scenes and certain like quotes were the same. It was like enough nostalgia for the movie and the book, but also subverting it. It was just so good. It was just so fucking good. You guys, if you haven't watched it and you are like me have been avoiding it for some reason, because you were afraid that it wasn't going to be good. I love it so much. And if you guys have seen it, I would love to talk to someone else that's obsessed with it because like every time I bring it up to like anybody I know, they're like, what? Oh yeah. I I don't care about that at all. (laughs) Like, God damn it. Just like music nerddom is like, it's just felt isolating to be a music nerd throughout my life because it's so hard to find people that both are that type of person and will talk to you as an equal. I met someone once in like, it was like in high school and I, he must've transferred away or something because I remember being in art class with him like one semester, not even like a year. 
and we would talk about music and he actually talked to me about it as if I was an equal. Like there was no like stupid attraction between us or anything. We were just nerds about music and we had conversations about music and it was just like fucking finally. <laughs> and then that person disappeared and it's like, I mean, as an adult, I've definitely met people I can talk to about music. I mean, it's such a, music is such a broad fucking topic. You'd think that that would be easy to happen, but um, an easy goal to achieve, find someone to nerd out about music with. But anyway, um, other great music books, just like while we're on the topic, Love is a Mixtape, pretty much anything by Rob Sheffield. Um, I, I like his books a lot. He does still have, like, he's still a cis white dude and he has, like, that vibe. If you guys know of any, like, great music criticism books or fiction books about a music nerd that's a woman or that's especially written by women, I'd love to know. Um, I do, I have read the book Record, Record Collecting for Girls. I need to reread that one because I was kind of disappointed in it when I first read it, but I think it's because I was expecting too much. You know, I just get too excited when it's like, oh my God, it's a music criticism book written by a woman. Oh my God. I still just like all the music criticism books that I like to read. It's, I still really haven't read one that like that person's taste actually somewhat mirrors mine. It's almost always like music that I don't actually care about, but I have very specific tastes in music. For those of y'all that have ever listened to my radio show, Mixtress Radio, that airs every Friday, 7 to 10 Central Daylight Time, or you can get the podcast version um, on my Patreon if you become a patron, patreon.com slash Ray. Um, anyway, <laughs> lots of babbling tonight. But hey, that's, um, it's a podcast, so that's what you do. On a podcast, you babble. Anyway, lots of people have seen this movie, so it's like, I have the DVD, and the DVD that I have is legit, like, from the year 2000, because I am a person that, for as long as I can remember, one good thing about me is that I take really good care of my shit. Even though a tornado completely destroyed my home in the year 2011, I still saved this movie from the wreckage. I Most of my DVDs, I like got rid of the cases and I just kept the discs and put them like in a binder because it was just too much work because all the cases were water damaged and had like insulation and all kinds of detritus all over them after the tornado. But with this particular one, I did save the case because it was my favorite movie of all time. And, <laughs> and I just like cleaned it off and put it, cleaned off the artwork and put it in a new case. And anyway, so I'm, I was watching the actual DVD that I've owned since the year 2000. <laughs> and some of the previews just, just as interesting. Like I fucking hate previews on movie discs and VHSs, but I enjoy them once a few years have passed and you can go, oh, that's funny, advertising that movie. Um, so there were three previews, Mission to Mars, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, and Scream 3. So that was fun to see the previews. Um, this, this movie does overall hold up. It's 
pretty decent like cinematography, art direction, whatever you would call it, pretty decent framing, like the sets were good, like I think Rob's apartment and the record store were both, they seemed appropriately lived in and gritty, they seemed like real places. Overall the movie has a very authentic feel to it. Um, the soundtrack is, it's good, it is good. Um, it's not, it's not, it's more like, it's more like, I don't know how to describe it, like, I don't want to like, be snobby about it, because, because I can sound like a music snob, but I'm not, you know, I totally get that music is completely subjective and you like what you like and like there's no judgment at all whatsoever, but the type of music that is in this movie is kind of like the sort of inarguable classic music nerd music. I mean, it's it's good, and at least it's not just like Beatles and Rolling Stones. You know, it's it's a little bit more nuanced of, it's a definite taste. And the thing that's cool, like I was like paying attention to the credits at the end of the movie, I'm trying to do that more to see like, are there any women involved at all? And besides like casting director and costume designer, which, and like a producer credit or something went to a woman, um, which those are pretty typical. Like you can see women in those roles behind the scenes of a movie often. But um, besides that, the music supervisor is a woman. Let me see my notes. Kathy Nelson is her name. So music supervisor was a woman and then, like I said, casting director and costume designer were the other two names that were like big enough to go before the like rolling, like larger credits at the end. Those were like the featured credits, you know? Um, let's see. I was trying to pay attention to like what kind of equipment Rob had, um, just because I kind of nerd out on like vintage hi-fi stereo shit. Um, I couldn't really tell and I didn't like pause it and really, really scrutinize it. It looked like he had a mixture of different kinds of components. Like it definitely wasn't like a system that all went together, which again, props to whoever did the set design I th and whoever did like prop, props to the prop person, but they did a really good job because it looked like, and it was very haphazard everything just looked lived in and real. And that is a piece of consistency as far as aesthetics go that is also in the TV show. Like it looks like her shit is, she's a messy person. She's messy and she loves music, but it's not a lot of like, it's, she just has things that she's collected over the years from here and there. You know, it's not like this beautiful, like dustless hi-fi system that all goes together. You know, he had components that were, it wasn't all the same brand, you know, they weren't all black. Like some of them were black, some of them were silver, you know, I like that. It, I don't know what they all were, but it made sense, you know, it made sense that he would have a collection of different things that he just sort of picked up over the years and upgraded, 
you know, randomly. <laughs> that's what a real music critic has. I mean, I guess that's not true. Like, there are lots of, like, music nerds that I follow on YouTube and shit that have, like, that have, like, the aesthetic thing down and everything's, like, all, like, mod and beautiful and super expensive components that all match each other or whatever the fuck. But that's not how most people live. And I like that. I really like Rob's apartment. Like I said, it's all painted. Most of it's painted gray. The kitchen was green and he had like an avocado fridge with like the wood paneled, um, handles and it was all good. <laughs> I don't know like how deep I want to get into like all the specific details of the movie, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, so the movie begins with like Laura is walking out on him. She is breaking up with him. And um, he's being really dismissive towards her. Like, I didn't like that, like, she's getting ready to leave and she's just broken up with him. And he's, he's got his headphones on and he's listening to music. Like, way to be checked out of this situation in your life, douche. <laughs> but, you know, one thing about, like, Rob is a fucking asshole. And... I thought that he was going to piss me off, but this movie is completely 100% aware that he's an asshole. So it's not trying to, it's not really trying to make you sympathize with him even. Like it's, it's not painting him out to be such an asshole that you can't sympathize with him, but it's really not trying to make you it's really not, that's the part that I was, was not sure I didn't remember, but it's really not trying to make you, you're really not supposed to be on his side. And yes, it is one of those movies where like, it's a cisgender hetero white guy that is an asshole and through his relationship to a woman, he is less of an asshole at the end of the movie. On the surface, that is all true. However, she, Laura is a fully characterized human being. She's not, um, they definitely could have done better. They could have shown her outside of the sphere of her relationship with him and her relationship with Ian. However, overall, she is fully characterized. She is seen as a human being. She's not overly romanticized. And she's not, she's definitely not characterized as only giving a shit about him and how he makes her feel. It's definitely mostly about him because the movie is all from his perspective. I had thought that this movie did not pass the Bechdel test because the to my memory, the only conversation that was even had between two women is when Liz and Laura, Liz is played by Joan Cusack, um, Liz and Laura met for like lunch or something and you see them talking, but it's all from the perspective, like literally nothing happens in this movie that isn't from the perspective of Rob. And this is, he is imagining well, that's not true either, because you do get a scene with Laura at Ian's house. Okay, 
So that's not totally true. That's a little inconsistency. But I think the rest of the movie is all either what he's imagining is happening in his head or it's actually from his point of view. Um, or just not literally like you're seeing through his eyes, but you know what I mean. Um, so he's imagining the conversation that the two of them had at lunch, which he doesn't even know if they met for lunch. He doesn't know the context. He's imagining that they met for lunch and that she told um, Liz about all of the things that he did to her. And that conversation is entirely about him. However, there was one other conversation, one hour and 27 minutes into like a two hour movie where, um, at Laura's dad's funeral, um, Liz is talking to one of Laura's sisters, Joe. And it, I mean, the conversation is, I mean, it kind of is about Rob. However, I am giving it a pass because, um, he's standing right there and he's like, it's okay. You can just pretend that you're not talking about me. You can just pretend that it, this is not about me, even though I'm standing right here, you know, being all self-centered. And Liz looks at him and goes, we're not talking about you, Rob. We're talking about Laura. So because she said that, even though it really was about him, what they were talking about, it was kind of about Laura's life and just like everything that's been going on lately. And he took it to mean that it was about him. So it's a tiny, tiny little exchange, but thankfully, even though we only see the sister character for like 30 seconds on screen combined, she is named. So it does count. <laughs> In the past, I sort of like, when I first found that out, when I first found out about the Bechdel test, I of course immediately like went to like rewatch High Fidelity because it's my favorite movie of all time. And I was so disheartened, but I didn't like, I just passed over that particular conversation, I guess. I mean, that's all. It's very tiny. It is a barely pass, but it does pass. Um, anyway, um, just some things I pointed out from the very beginning, you know, the way that Rob characterizes women is they are them, you know, it's like an us and them. It's like men and women, us and them. And so I just, you know, noticed that. And he says at one point, that he wanted to be able to say that, you know, he was talking about his like first breakup back in like seventh grade. And, and he was um, saying, I want to be able to say now, now that I'm like 26 or whatever, that females are less cruel. So that pissed me off. But I mean, as far as like the things that piss me off about this movie, I am, I mean, if you've never seen High Fidelity, there's probably not much of a reason for you to watch it now. Unless you just did it to do your homework so that we can talk about it together right now. If so, thank you for doing that. I hope you enjoyed something about it. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Mixtress Radio at Gmail is where you can send me those thoughts um, and send me your suggestions for books um, with written by women about music criticism in general. But I think if I didn't have a history with this movie... I mean, it's still a fun movie, but like the sexist shit would piss me off. And as far as like, um, other representation, there's no, 
there's no one that's gay in this movie. I mean, the the women characters are very small in number. You know, there's Liz, there's Laura. And there's Sarah Gilbert's character, who's kind of, you know, just, does she even have any lines? She has like two lines, if that. All I remember her saying was The Clash, because she's having a conversation with Dick, who is her romantic interest. And they're talking about music, and she says the clash to finish his sentence because he was about to say. Anyway, whatever. She doesn't have much to say. There's not, as far as representation goes, this movie is 85% white guys. And overall, like 98% white people. Like the only, there's like this one customer I don't think he's ever named it's possible that he was but there's a customer in the store that they have a conversation with it's a black man and there's um oh Lisa Bonet her character <laughs> um she's I think she's black right I think so <laughs> um but yeah that's it that's it as far as like there's no gay people, there's no trans people, there's no, like, representation is non-existent, which unfortunately is very usual for any movie pre, you know, 2015, probably. Um, even now, it's still, like, it's still pretty bad. Um, what else? I just wrote down, like, a lot of, like, quotes. This movie is quotable to me because it's a movie that I've seen a million times, I really like, I really like the three guys at the record store. I mean, this feels like a relatively believable dynamic of like the asshole that owns the record store. And then there's the Barry who's totally obnoxious, kind of elitist music snob guy. And then there's Dick who's just like, you know, soft spoken, kind of sweet, but like super, super fucking nerdy. Um, they're all music nerds in a slightly different way. And I love all three of their characters and all three of those characters, I mean, are represented in the TV show. Um, so in the TV show, the Rob, like I said, is Zoe Kravitz and there's a Barry surrogate character. I can't remember what her name is off the top of my head, but she is a beautiful, large black woman and she she plays Jack Black's character so well without actually being like Jack Black you know she she embodies the essence of the character without doing an impression of Jack Black which is the whole show in general it embodies the essence of high fidelity without doing an actual imitation of it it's brilliant anyway <laughs> um I just want to watch that now maybe I'll start that um start that series over as soon as I get done recording this. It's it's a good time. Like I said, not a huge demand for you to want to watch, watch High Fidelity if you've never seen it before, the movie, but definitely, definitely watch the Hulu series. If I could get one person to watch that fucking series and send me an email talk, nerding out about it, I will have done my job as a podcaster this summer. <laughs> um... But yeah, I just like wrote down a lot of quotes like, how could it be bullshit to state a preference? <laughs> um, yeah, the whole thing about, I mean, there's several different moments that kind of piss me off, like Rob's inner dialogue, whatever. 
the biggest one is that whole, like, that whole conversation about how it's as if women, uh, their breasts are ours and they've un, they've unlawfully annexed them and we need to get them back. And he was talking about like making out with chicks whenever he was younger and how he was just trying to, um, what did he say? Something like, where is it? attack and defense, invasion and repulsion. Like he was talking about trying to get into somebody's pants and like, you know, touching their boobs and they would push the hands off and just like how rapey that kind of behavior is. And it's something that we culturally, we just sort of accepted that for so long, that whole boys will be boys thing. And now it's just creepy and it was always creepy, but we just thought that that's how it was and there was no way that, and we just had to accept it, you know, like that was the mentality whenever I was growing up that, that boys just tried to grope you and you had to thwart them, you know, like it was up to you to defend yourself and say no over and over and over and over when once should have been enough. And so that's definitely represented in this movie, that sort of just like casual gropey bullshit that we all really normalized for a long time. So that pissed me off, of course. Um, yeah, I just don't know, like, what I really want to say about it is just like, if you're thinking to yourself, man, this movie would piss me off in 2020 and you haven't rewatched it, it didn't piss me off as much as I thought it would. It just didn't. Um, there were moments where things were shitty, but it's definitely a movie that wants you to know that Rob is a fucking asshole. Um, for sure. And, you know, the conversations between, especially between Dick, Barry, and Rob are, are just, they feel genuine to me as far as like conversations that people that work in a record store together would have, you know, I've actually, you know, been privy to some of those conversations, you know, when you're actually hanging out in a record store and you overhear the coworkers, uh, like it, I've always dreamed of working in a record store. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll get to do it, but there really isn't one in the town that I live in. So, but you know, sometimes when I go out of town, I'll always like seek out like a cheesy little record store to go into. And sometimes you actually hear the people behind the counter, like having these sort of like top five, I don't know. I just, I love those conversations. Like I've said before, but the conversations that, um, Rob and Laura have throughout the movie are also like, not all of them are just about like their relationship or like, she's really not characterized as being like, I don't know, like the stereotype of girlfriend. She's really not characterized that way. They really give her an actual personality. And that's one of the things that I loved about this movie from the very beginning was that their relationship, even in the year 2000, you know, I was 17 when this movie came out, you know, I didn't, you know, all of my ideas of relationships. I mean, I guess I probably was a little bit jaded by that point. I was already dating a terrible human being, but, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, seeing an adult relationship like this, I don't think it completely registered with me at the time, but especially as I've gotten older, like this is one of the few movies 
especially from this era, that I feel like characterizes a relationship in a somewhat authentic way. You know, like, Laura's not completely, like, head over heels in love with him. She sees his flaws. She sees her own flaws. She has her own life. She accepts cer certain things about him, but she's not a pushover. You know, it's it's a regular, relatively authentic portrayal of a relationship, and that still largely holds up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like looking through my notes and it's a lot of stuff like, man, I don't really need to talk about that. Man, I don't really need to talk about that. Um, I like the, um, he was, I don't know, Rob was saying something at some point he was referring to Laura and he was like, and it was a sneaky lawyer's trick and I fell for it because she's much smarter than me. <laughs> and there's lots of little moments like that. Like, Rob is an enjoyable character because not only because he's an asshole, but he's slightly self-aware of that fact. Um, I don't know. Like this, it's such a trope at this point to have like the asshole, but he's not like an asshole that's also a genius and everyone just puts up with him, his asshole characteristics because he's a genius. It's not that trope. He's just an asshole. <laughs> um, Oh God, there's that moment when he's, he's meeting with his exes and he, I forgot what her name was. Um, but he's meeting with one of his exes and she's telling him like that after they went out, um, she, the person that she went out with after she had actually had sex with that person. And his big thing was like, why wouldn't she give it up for me? But she gave it up for him or stupid bullshit. But she tells him that like she was just so tired and so she didn't fight him off and she technically said okay so it wasn't rape but and so like she's saying this super upsetting shit about essentially being raped by the person that went out with her right after him back in high school and he's just like super relieved <laughs> because I don't know. I don't even remember why he was relieved, but like his reaction wasn't, Oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you or anything. Anyway, whatever. One of the things that bugged me though, like, like I said, like his apartment very, seems very believable as an apartment that he would have and like great props, great set, all that stuff. But the thing that I noticed was that, you know, Laura kept coming by to get her stuff after the breakup and she came a few different times to get her things. And it's just like, if you really look in the background, it doesn't look like, I mean, she moved into his place, which right there, I mean, if you're moving in with somebody, you guys have to get a place together or like somebody really needs to make room for you. It needs to be, in my opinion, like if someone's moving in with you in a relationship scenario, you really have to clear out a lot of space and make sure that, first of all, make sure that person's okay with like, okay, well, I've been here for a while. So it's always, you're always going to feel like you've moved into my place. What can I do? Like repaint, clear out some shit and move shit in together. You know, like get rid of your dresser to make room for hers or like whatever. Like, I feel like you'd really have to be careful that you're not making them 
ultimately feel like they're moving into your place if you're going to do that, you know? Um, I'm not sure I ever could do that. I'd be like, nope, we're going to have to get a place together. This is not happening. I'm not moving in with you <laughs> because then if we break up, it's like I automatically have to be the one to leave, you know? But obviously not every circumstance can like... Anyway, the whole point of that is just that like there's nothing of Laura in that apartment. It seems like that's actually not the case whenever they get back together towards the end of the movie you know you see like there's like a quilt over the couch there's like some other things in the background other than just a bunch of records and gray walls it seems like there's a little bit more of her in his place towards the end of the movie so that's good but still it's a very small place and it's just crammed with records and they're all his presumably maybe some of them are hers i don't know hers uh, whatever anyway that whole thing about like he only gives a shit whether or not she's slept with ian and since she hasn't even though she like lives with him and they've been like um emotionally intimate <laughs> he doesn't care because all he cares about is whether or not they've slept together um there's an interesting, I'm, I'm not going to, no spoilers, but in the TV show, it's, it's interesting how they dealt with that particular plot point. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> this was just a quote that I enjoyed. Um, I'm not sure if this is the quote of the episode or not, but Liz says to um, Rob at one point, can I ask you a question? And you can think about it if you want to. I don't know why. I just really like that. <laughs> I want to start saying that. Can I ask you a question? And you can think about it if you want to. <laughs> I don't know. I just like that. Um, avocado fridge. Okay. Here's this one part that like, okay. So it's like about, I don't know, two thirds ish, three fourths of the way through the movie. And it's right after Liz asks him, can I ask you a question? You can think about it if you want to. Why do you want to be with Laura? Why do you want Laura back? And it's, the movie characterizes him as like being taken aback by that question. Like he doesn't know why does he want her back? Why does he like her? I've noticed that that was like a thing. Hopefully that's just like a sexism thing that's going away too. But I remember that being a thing with boyfriends in the past. Like you could ask them, why do you like me? And they would genuinely have no fucking clue. And that would always piss me off off how can you not know what you like about me how can you not know why you're with me and it was always like a total stumper for dudes and of course there's probably a lot of factors in that you know there's probably like you know dudes aren't they're not brought up and socialized and taught to verbalize their feelings so maybe they just didn't have the vocabulary to actually express that but also yeah, it's just sexism. It's just sexism. Sexism makes archetypes out of women. And a lot of the time men, even women that they are dating, that they know intimately, they still see them as some kind of archetype. They haven't actually seen them for who they are. And I really liked this scene where he's like by himself walking around Chicago or whatever. And he's trying to think about, like, what does he like about Laura? And he makes, like, a top five list of his favorite things about Laura. And they're actually pieces of her character. 
We have a visit from Kali. Yes. What do you have to say about the movie High Fidelity, Kali? Huh? What do you have to say about it? Oh, now she's quiet. Okay. Um, <laughs> she's going to want out the door in about 14 seconds, but she just had to come in here. Yeah. Um, that's Kali, K-A-L-I. She's not named after a type of dog. <laughs> She's named after a goddess because for some reason I do that with cats. I think they're goddesses. Um, but like what he lists about Laura, the top five things that he likes about Laura, it was it was sweet. You know, like she has one of the best all-time best laughs. She laughs with her entire body. And you know, like just the things that he said about her were just good actual like actual traits of a human being and it was just a sweet quirky little list of things that he liked about her that were things about who she was as a person not as an archetype not as a female archetype you know and I liked that um one of the things he said yeah you want back out again okay I like how she just walks around <laughs> and he just like, I don't know exactly how he says it, but it's just like, I like how she walks around. It's like, it's like she doesn't care what people thinks and she's just not affected. Um, that was just really sweet. But then he ruins the whole thing by saying, um, and I could make a list of my top five most annoying things about Laura, but they're just your garden variety women schizo stuff. Garden variety women schizo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of ruined it, but then he also said, and that's exactly how we got here in the first place. So at least he's acknowledging that, like, that type, I think he even said that type of thinking is what got us here in the first place. He might not have actually said it like that, but at least he was self-aware of, like, how much of an asshole thing that was to say a little bit. I'm giving that a pass because I like this movie still, but, um, then Laura's dad dies. He goes to the funeral and he's like sitting in the back and she's crying and she's so, you believe that thing about how she laughs with her whole body because you see her cry with her whole body. You know, a person that laughs with her whole body is going to cry with their whole body too, you know? Um, and he's sitting in the back and he just, you actually see him like tearing up. You see how upset he is and how he actually feels for her right now. Um, and he's not going cause he's trying to get in her pants. He's going to the funeral because she kind of seemed like maybe she would want him there. And he's going because he actually gives a shit about her. And then they get back together after the funeral because she she basically just like she's so honest <laughs> she's just like you know what i'm just i'm too tired to not be with you and and he says oh so like if you had more energy right now in your life then we would stay broken up but being as you just you're you don't have energy right now you, you'd like to get back together and she's like yeah she's like i know that's not romantic eventually i'll probably feel romantic but I just love that. I just love that. <laughs> She's just like, she doesn't decide to get back together with him because he's done some dramatic, stupid thing to prove to her that he's different now, which of course he isn't. He's just, she knows exactly who he is. You know, they don't actually talk about like how long they've been together, but you can assume that they've been together like five to 10 years, I would think. Um, 
at the time of filming John Cusack was 34, but I think the character, I think they mentioned at some point that he's like 26 or 27 or late 20s, but I wish they had just like, you know, been up front with like, okay, he's 34, let's play him as 34, because I think that's more believable about like the stage where he is in his life. I mean, we're supposed to think that he's very emotionally stunted for being a 26-year-old man, but like, I've known lots of 34-year-old men that are just as emotionally stunted as he is at this point, and I think that makes more sense. But, you know, that's just me. Anyway, so they get back together, and they show, I like that that's not the end of the movie. I really like that. I've always liked that. Like, they get back together because she's just too tired after her dad dies. She just doesn't want to try to stay apart anymore. And she moves back in, and they have some blissful times they kind of show like sort of a little montage of them being together and like then he gets kind of a crush on this um woman journalist who they kind of they seem to characterize her as being a peer but she looks a lot younger than john cusack but anyway they don't really show her being like super interested in him I mean, they're just kind of flirting a little bit. And he decides to make her a tape. And Laura kind of comes in while he's conceptualizing the tape. And she asks him, who are you making the tape for? And he tells her. And she just doesn't react. And the next day, he sort of asks Laura to lunch or something like that. And she comes. And he asks her to marry him. And she just starts laughing. And you, you see her, like, do the laughing with her whole body thing. She really does. Um, she just starts laughing at him. And and he's like, oh, thanks a lot, you know, or whatever. And she's like, why? Why are you asking me this now? You were just making a tape for a journalist yesterday, you know? Why are you asking me this right now? And he says, because I'm tired. Because, like, you know... If I think about other women, it's just the fantasy. It's not real. And this is his, you know, emotional maturity moment of like, it's not real. You know, it's just the fan the fantasy. Like, I don't have any problems with this other person because it's all in my head. And he makes that whole fucking thing about the underwear. Like, <laughs> you think the women have all this glamorous lingerie and underwear, blah, blah, blah. Um, but really they have ratty cotton panties or whatever. Like, yeah, because women are, what did I say? Like, I was just pissed and I said something out loud. Oh, women are people. That's fucking devastating, isn't it? That's why I just said that out loud whenever we were watching the movie. Um, he was making that stupid analogy about the underwear, but he was like, but they have that kind of underwear too. It's just, I don't see it. They're the fantasy because... Anyway, I'm not explaining it well, but it was a good little emotional maturity moment that in a regular romantic comedy type movie, which this movie's kind of that, um, I would say, I mean, I guess it doesn't have a lot of comedy except for Jack Black. Jack Black brings some comedy to the, to the, to the table. I'm not one of the, I know a lot of people are really annoyed by him, but I'm not one of those people. I've always found him to be delightful. Anyway, in a normal romantic comedy, this moment of him, like, you know, making this emotional maturity, like, 
what's the what's the word I'm thinking of? Like epiphany, uh, emotional maturity epiphany would have ended in him like asking her again and her saying yes. But she just basically laughs at him and she's like, you didn't really think I was going to say yes to that, did you? And the movie ends with, you know, just them moving forward with a better relationship than they had in the beginning of the movie when she broke up with him. And, you know, just like little changes, you know, I really like that. You know, movies are always so dramatic. Like people make huge changes in their lives and everything's great by the end. And I really like just the authenticity of this movie. I've said it a bunch of times, but you know, by the end of the movie, Barry has started, um, making music finally um rob has started putting out music on his own label um dick's in a relationship with a real woman <laughs> of course you know now that i'm thinking about it like as much as i've said about laura having a lot of characterization like we don't see that she has made any significant developments in her own life we know that she's already a successful lawyer so we can assume that like she's already kind of made those steps of emotional emotional maturity and like growing up you know she that they've even had a few conversations like that throughout like i don't care i just want you to like have thoughts for the future i just want you to like be planning for things and she doesn't really have that like steps towards her future but i guess we can assume that she's kind of in in a secure place where she wants to be so I can give that a little bit of a pass, but anyway. Um, so everybody by the end of the movie is just like taking a subtle step towards their future and being slightly mo more emotionally mature, which is nice. Um, I like that um, Jack Black's band at the end, he's like, um, they, they were changing their name from Sonic Death Monkey to Kathleen Turner Overdrive. <laughs> which is amazing. I love it. Um, yeah. And that's what else do I have in my notes? Yeah, that's about it. That's the movie. Not, it doesn't piss me off as much as I thought it would. And I still enjoy it. And I'm relieved kind of because for a movie that I for a long time have called my favorite movie. I still, I probably wouldn't call it my favorite movie of all time. In fact, I'm not sure what I would call my favorite movie of all time right now. Hmm. In the tradition of Rob, I would like to end this podcast by listing for you guys my top five favorite movies of all time, but I feel like that would, that's too much pressure. <laughs> like off the top of my head, I would probably say like, oh shit like maybe bridesmaids it would there would definitely be a paul feig movie in there because i really enjoy i really enjoy melissa mccarthy just all that she is so it might be the heat because i really like that buddy cop movie with melissa mccarthy and sandra bullock it has some problematic moments but anyway let's not talk about that because that's just too much pressure for me to like really list my top five favorite movies of all time right now. Um, but let's do, I guess let's do ratings. 
um, object of the episode. So object of the movie, high fidelity. What would I want to pluck out of the movie and have for myself? It's Rob's avocado tub with the fake wood grain handles. I mean, it's just, I love that. I love that. I love the set designer for this movie. Um, what else? Outfit of the movie. Uh, fashion, just like I've said it a million times, but like fashion from like the year 2000 to 2007 or so was just awful. Um, you really don't get that in this movie. Like, I'm sure this movie was in production way before the year 2000 when it came out. So it's like, it's really late 90s. Uh, it's it's good because it has that level of authenticity that really goes with every other piece of aesthetic that goes with this movie because it's just, you know, record store, middle-aged record store dudes and they're just wearing t-shirts and jeans like you would expect. It's mostly what I wear, in fact. Um, so... And Laura's outfits, she just had kind of, she had kind of a boring style. She had cool hair, but she wore a lot of khaki pants and just like nondescript late 90s type shirts um, that were like slightly fancier. Um, she definitely, they characterized her by, as an adult, by the way that she dressed, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't remember any particular... I'm sure Jack Black wore, like, wore his own fucking wardrobe for this movie. Like, that Yanni t-shirt is just, like, that had to have been from Jack Black's actual t-shirt collection. It just had to. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think there's any, like, particular piece of clothing that's standing out in my mind that, like, was the outfit of the movie. So I'm just gonna skip over that. Um, MVP of the movie High Fidelity. I really like Laura as a character a lot. I really do. So let's say Laura. I was going to say Liz because I love that she just calls Rob out on his shit. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with Laura because she she gets more characterization and she's just she's the bomb. I can see why someone would want to be in a relationship with her. She's just, she's cool, and she really is unaffected. She's just like, she's just an authentic human being. She, she, it's, it's actually very refreshing. I know this is like me just like totally hammering home a point that I've made this entire episode of the podcast, but she really is not painted as an archetype. It's so rare to have that in a female character of any time period, especially the year 2000. Like she's... She, she doesn't fit into any, like, particular trope. She's not, she's not the, what do you call it, typical women schizo bullshit. <laughs> she's not, like, a typical just girlfriend character with no other personality other than that at all. She's not, like, a manic pixie dream girl. She's not, like, she's, she's just a person. She seems like a fully realized person to me, which is so nice to see. So she gets the MVP quote. Hmm. What do I say 
from this movie more than anything else? Probably the how can it be bullshit to state a preference? Because <laughs> Barry's like screaming at somebody because they like said what their favorite something or other was or they were listing a top five thing. And he was like, bullshit. How can it be bullshit to state a preference, Barry? <laughs> so, yeah, that's the quote. Five by five ratings um, out of five treatment of women and other minorities in this movie there isn't a lot of representation however what representation exists was relatively well handled as far as like the main female character beyond that you really don't get anything else but i mean even marie de salle's character was it wasn't completely cliche um and the exes that he went and talked to, they seemed to have real personalities too. They weren't just archetypes. Um, so overall treatment of women, I might give it a three or a four. However, if you put in like any other minority, which they just weren't present really at all, that's going to take that down. I'm going to give it... Uh, it's not fair to put all minorities in this one score, but two and a half, two and a half on that. Because if I am putting all minorities in this score, like most, mostly there's no representation besides like a handful of female characters that are all, almost all white. And then as far as overall enjoyability of this movie, I still like, despite the like maybe five or ten moments that I'm like, really, really, year 2000, you suck. Besides those, I still find this movie very enjoyable, and so I'm going to give it a four. So what is that? Two and a half times four, what is that? That's ten, okay. Like, that's complicated math. Um, so, your homework, actually, I'm going to check to see. I haven't checked in a few days. Check the Patreon poll again, just in the rare off chance that somebody has voted on the Patreon poll. Nope. Nobody loves my Patreon poll. You can still answer it though, since as long as the summer is going, I would fully encourage you to answer. Um, basically, it's um, on my Patreon page. You do not have to be a patron. It's patreon.com slash Ray. And it should be pinned like at the top of the page or like within two or three posts of the top of the page. Um, yeah, it's pinned. It's still pinned. So it should be at the top of the page whenever you go to that link. And your choices are, at this point, obviously we've talked about two of these movies, but your choices are The Cell, Best in Show, Bring It On, or Other Please Specify essentially any movie from the year 2000. I will totally talk about if you want me to. So um, let me know what you want me to do. Um, not next because like, well, let's see. Uh, next I'm going to do the cell because I know I'm going to do the cell for sure. I would also really love to do best in show and bring it on. I, I don't know. It just depends. Like I'm in kind of 
I have a momentum going right now, so I just did Miss Congeniality like three days ago, so you know, if I stay on this kind of crazy momentum, we could we could really get into it. We still have till September 26th before we're going to start talking about the uh, about season five of Buffy. So feel free to vote on that poll, or you can even just send me an email if you're more comfortable with that. Again, my email is mixtressradio at gmail. And again, mixtress is with an X. A lot of people like think I'm just mispronouncing mistress, <laughs> but it's mix because music, mixtape, mixtress. Um, so anyway, mixtressradio at gmail is where you can email me anything that you want to talk about. I'm here for it. And then if you want to vote on the Patreon poll, just go to patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. I love you guys so much. Your homework for the next summer of movies from the year 2000 is watch the movie The Cell. Um, I don't know if there's more than one movie with that name. It is Cell, C-E-L-L, and it has stars J-Lo and Vincent D'Onofrio. It is kind of an upsetting psychological thriller slash horror movie. So, like, may not be for you if... I'm not sure, like, what the specific triggers would be. It's like, basically the premise of the movie is that J-Lo is a psychologist and she has this technology where she can go inside the brains of people that she is, um, that are her patients, that are her clients. And she uses it mostly to help um, kids that have gone through trauma and like maybe aren't verbal right now and that kind of stuff. She like visits them in their mind and kind of like meets them in their territory, kind of like they're in their dreams, sort of. I don't know. It's a really interesting concept and I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. But it's like the premise is that she ends up needing to go into a serial killer's brain in order to, um, because he's in a coma and they need to find out like where his latest victim is because she might still be alive. And so that's the general premise of the movie. Um, I think, I haven't rewatched it in a while, but it's one that like has always really stuck with me. Um, it is beautiful. It is such a beautiful movie. Um, it has upsetting aspects to it. You know, being inside a serial killer's brain, not the most fun place to be. But, um, I'm excited to watch about it again. I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. If you think that it's something that you might be interested in, I do not know if it is streaming anywhere. It's very much like a, I don't even think it ended up being a cult classic. I don't think many people actually appreciate this movie. So, um, if you're, if you don't already own it, you might, I don't know if your library will have it. Mine certainly doesn't. Um, but you know, you know, there's a thing. Okay. If you don't regularly go to your public, local public library, you may not know that pretty much all libraries have this thing called an interlibrary loan, 
where you can basically go to your library and you could be like, hey, do you have The Cell, a movie from the year 2000 with JLo in it? And they can say, no, we don't, but we can get it for you on interlibrary loan. So you just, they basically, they find it from some other library in the country and then they mail it to the, to your library and then you go check it out through your library. So if you want, even though it's the next episode I'm going to talk about, you could always skip over that episode if you're still waiting for the interlibrary loan to come in. <laughs> no one's going to do this, but if you do, oh my God, you have to tell me that you did it. Um, if you're still waiting for it to come in because... You know, there's a lot of problems with the Postal Service right now. Please buy stamps. Please tell your local representatives to support the Postal Service because it's very fucking important. Anyway, you might have to wait a little while for it to get to you, but your library will totally provide this shit for you. Totally, I promise you. <laughs> also, it may be available to, like, buy digitally. I'm actually going to look that up right now because... I would love to, like, actually have a conversation with you guys about this movie. In fact, I don't know when exactly I'm going to record for it. I would assume it would be at least, like, my next day off after this weekend isn't even till next Friday. So I would assume that, like, I'm probably not going to record for The Cell for at least a week. So if you guys have seen it before or if you watch it and you have particular opinions about it, I would love to get your thoughts and I can, um... So we can have a good conversation about it. Okay, let me look it up and see like where you can buy it. Okay, you can get it in more places than I assumed. You can basically, you can get it on Google Play digitally for $10. You can get it from Best Buy for $10, the Blu-ray. So it's not as hard to find as, I mean, I assumed you could probably like find the DVD on Amazon or whatever, but I guess I would love to know, like, how many of you guys, it, I might be one of the only people that still, like, watches and owns DVDs. Like, do you guys still do that? Like, am I a weirdo? Does everybody just stream now? Anyway, I mean, that's kind of expensive. I mean, for me, it would be kind of expensive to just, like, buy a movie to watch it. Um, apparently there's a movie called Cell with John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about The Cell. <laughs> anyway, um, that's your homework should you choose to accept it. Um, mom, you're exempt because you would not, I don't know if I ever made you watch this movie, but you would not like it. Um, it's too upsetting, <laughs> but, um, it's interesting as well. So. That will be the next one I'll talk about. Head over to my Patreon poll if you want to vote on what else we talk about this summer, and I will see you then. Bye!